0: Welcome to No Prize From God, episode 28. No Prize From God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is Liam Wilson. Liam is best known as the longtime bass player for the band The Dillinger Escape Plan. He's been featured on the cover of Bass Player Magazine. In more recent years, he's also performed live with the Norwegian black metal act Mirker, Canadian musician and producer Devin Townsend. He's part of Azusa, a supergroup of sorts with members of Extol and c and and the mastermind behind the band John Frum, a conceptually driven, psychedelic, progressive death metal band. He is also one of my favorite people in the world, and a fascinating individual. He is more or less the archetype for this podcast, and the whole concept behind this podcast, as you'll hear me explain to him when we get started with this conversation, which is... Hopefully going to be the first of many conversations with Liam on No Price from God. He's the first person who ever said ayahuasca to me in conversation. He's been into yoga longer than just about anybody else that I know. Transcendental meditation, longtime vegan, but really just a very open-minded, inquisitive, seeker, spiritually centered kind of person. He's also a husband and a father just an all-around amazing person. If memory serves, I believe the first time I met him, which was brief but memorable, (laughs) was in Philadelphia at the Relapse Record Store. Just prior to him, I think he actually had joined Dillinger but had yet to perform live with them. As regular listeners to this podcast may know, I was at one time the manager for the Dillinger Escape Plan. But Liam and I were good friends before that, became even better friends during... And he remains, as I said, one of my absolute favorite people. If this is your first time listening to No Prize From God or your gazillionth time listening to No Prize From God, the best thing you can do to support the podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred platform is, leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review. I promise, those help. You can find No Prize From God on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. No Prize from God is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network, which includes Pop Curse, which is musicians talking movies, and Speak and Destroy, a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica. So here it is, my conversation with Liam Wilson. This is No Prize from God. Since coming up with the concept for this podcast, you are, you might have been the first person I thought of actually about having on. You're definitely among the first two or three. And it's funny because I started the podcast a couple of years ago now at this point, but due to the sporadic nature of actually scheduling and getting episodes out, I think, you know, I'm less than 30 episodes in, but getting getting better about it. You were just getting warmed up. Just getting warmed up. Um but yeah, but it, but it's still kind of funny to to only just now be talking when uh yeah, you you very likely were the very first person that I thought about having on this idea of huh. conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief and everything between. Cuz you are one of the most creative people I know and you have uh fascinating and unique viewpoints on a lot of this stuff that we talk about on this podcast. So um, with that um, in mind, well, tell me a little bit are, about man. how you were first introduced to concepts of life and death and meaning and what it's all about and you know faith um, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess
1: you know, I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, raised, it felt primarily by my mom's parents. Uh, my mom was had um uh I understand just kind of doing the lion's share of my probably zero to seven raising um which included like going to mass almost every day at the church up the street that i eventually mm-hmm. went to grade school for a couple of years and um you know they weren't like it wasn't like we were listening to christian radio or anything like that they weren't listening to lectures or you know it wasn't it wasn't on that level, which I, I feel like you understand like tears here. Mm-hmm. But they were devout, you know, and, and had their uh opinions about things and and um for what it's worth my mom uh came out as gay not long after I was born, which kind of then threw a lot of that's kind of where the the tracks started switching for me where or, or at least where I started having that like Um, Being able to zoom out and reflect uh, my personal experience with, uh, you know, the the ancient wisdom, or whatever, or whatever, you know, Vatican II says is uh, um, church opinion things like homosexuality or such and such. So, um, you know, being born seventy nine, so growing up, um, you know. and AIDS freak out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, and the, you know, what we're kind of fully unpacking now with all the, uh, you know, the, the Catholic molestation and abuse and all that kind of stuff too. So I, I think that was kind of the, still the beginnings of all of this. So I was, uh, I, I guess all I'm trying to set up here is my grandparents were very, um, influential on me, had very faith-based opinions about the world, were very devout in their faith, Uh, but we always kind of had a very open dialogue, and especially when I started to recognize where my mom's lifestyle fit into all of this and where it didn't, Uh, and then when my parents divorced, having like this different perspective of like going to church at my dad's house, uh, going or not going to church when I was with my mom, and then going to church Less into me just being interested in theology and being in Catholic schools my whole life. I kind of heard all the stories. Just going to mass enough to, you know, start to catch on to things a little bit uh, and to ask bigger questions. I'm not really sure where the bigger questions came from. I think that was just uh, that's just uh, where my soul is at this time around you know wherever my uh my atma you know is trying to figure out you know i i i don't i feel like i've always asked big questions and then as it progressed into i guess high school uh i was going to high school in the inner city i was exposed to a lot more of like the grit of a place like philadelphia which has a lot of grit mm-hmm. and um You know, I wasn't exposed to meditation, you know, the way I would have been had I grown up in maybe India or something. I'm not saying that everybody, not trying to stereotype, but, um, you know, those kind of things were still, you know, yoga was still like not quite a thing, mainstream thing on the East Coast yet. Uh, So I got into acid, you know, I got into psychedelics, Um, that's kind of what my gateway to mystical experience was and it it didn't take long. You know, it it was very quick. I, uh, got real shook and but in a good way. I think, you know, it was, um, you know, things like, uh, be a vegetarian, actually go vegan was something that I realized while, you know, blasted out of my ego on mushrooms. Mm. Uh, and, I think that those are the kind of things where I'm like, I don't think that—at least for me—the jury's not out on those things. Um, I've kind of drifted and experimented at different times in my life with eating different things, and regardless of the health factor, I feel like on a spiritual level, I just kind of don't want to engage in it. Uh, Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe it would make my brain better. I just don't really care. You know, I'm not so attached to my body that um, you know. Not to say I don't take care of it and do yoga, asana you know poses and stuff and try to be somewhat conscious of my health but um i don't know uh should i just keep ranting
0: like this uh, this, is this is how this, is, this works this is beautiful it, it, it kind okay. of is um, well i, I want to actually step back for a moment okay um get, you know given that we're both generation x and and as you mentioned we came up in a, I'm a time
1: zenial, proudly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to age both of us. No. Okay, okay, boomer. Is, yeah, that's what the kids say, right? Um. Yeah. I, I would, you know, we, as you mentioned, oh, you know, we were unpacking a lot of things: the AIDS crisis, you know, Satanic Panic on Phil Donahue, right? And, yeah
1: Satanic Panic.
0: Five. You know, a, a bunch of a bunch of stuff like that that was, yeah, you know, all interspersed a lot of like yeah. what we were growing up around. Yeah, and it's crazy to think how controversial. Sinead O'Connor ripping up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live was. Oh, dude. E- yeah. Even to a lot of progressive leaning people, right? right. Were, yeah. you know, still found it very offensive. And then to look back with the wisdom and hindsight of history about what she yeah. was specifically protesting is, is pretty unreal. And especially you and I, one of the things we have in common, both being of, of Irish Catholic descent sure um you know having uh did i mention my mom was one of seven (laughs) (laughs) um Uh, but but when you mentioned philadelphia it actually makes me curious uh of course you would have been you know five or six years old but do you remember the move bombing happening um, or, or being aware of
1: that i remember i certainly remember hearing about it um i couldn't tell you whether or not my earliest memories of hearing about it were uh, contemporary with the event or not. Mm -hmm. I may have been a little young for that, but I certainly remember my dad openly discussing it. Um, And, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it took a long time before I fully understood or heard the story from like a black or at least like activist perspective not mm-hmm. saying my dad tainted it but um the viewpoint is different just because i don't i think my dad is kind of apolitical uh in so many ways so um
0: he, he could be yeah, forgiven I mean, I, for not not breaking down anarcho-primitivism to you <laughs> right
1: you know yeah and i think that some of those details that i would be interested in and maybe more empathetic to um you know just are you know uh flying over his head um, but yeah, I do remember it. Why? Why do you ask?
0: Just, I was just um, curious. Um, you know, uh, the the last the most recent guest I had on the podcast uh, was an author named Adam Morris who wrote a book called American Messiahs, and it's about a, a lot of these uh, quote unquote cults throughout American yeah. history that. Actually, had a lot of progressive ideas, including the ones that had these spectacular flameouts, and I don't mean moves—be right. so a, a terrible pun—and that was that right. was a uh, you know Waco-style massacre by sure. the state. But the yeah. ones that uh, you know Jim Jones comes to mind. Um, some of these people that had these radical beliefs and were in many cases abusive and and terrible and megalomaniacal and all the things we already know about them, and yet were doing things like integrating their churches and, you know, stuff that right. were like multiple steps ahead of the wider culture. And, um, sure. And, and when you talk about, you know, going to school in inner city Philadelphia, it reminds me that, you know, when I mentioned to this author that I grew up in Indiana, he was like, well, what was your, there's a whole big section about Jonestown in his book. And he's right. like, well, what was your recollection of, you know, what did you know about Jim Jones? And it's funny much like you, of course, with Move, I didn't get any heavy duty context about what the whole thing was about. But, yeah, the, I mean, but the first way good. I heard about it was, <laughs> believe it or not, when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out and was super popular, okay. I, would, I started to recognize that adults were snickering about a, a hero named Indiana Jones. Because Jim Jones <laughs> was often referred right. to as Indiana Jones around those parts. I never thought of this. And yeah, and so that's how I became aware of,
1: yeah. yeah,
0: of that whole thing was my dad and people of his generation, you know.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, my dad certainly introduced me to move. I think that that has a way deeper... um. It's, it's more contextualized with what's happening currently. Absolutely. Um, then, at least for me, it's more about like my punk political beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that was just always part of my education growing up in a punk community here, or progressive community here, and like protesting things and hearing about it from those points of view. Yeah. Um, and like housing issues and stuff like that. So all that stuff to me was more of like that punk political sphere and not so much like a belief i don't i don't feel like that had an influence on philly or me in a belief state sure i don't think it was ever looked at like a cult or i don't feel like i um ever heard of it really remarked about that way
0: in terms not of saying like a it religious wasn't. component
1: to yeah it or, in terms yeah. of like a religious cult maybe it's just because philly is so funky anyway and we already have like the amish and the you know like mm-hmm there's already so much um, funk here as far as belief and maybe people in America take that for granted, but we have a lot of, we're very liberal as a Commonwealth in terms of like, um, you know, everything from, you know, religious, religious exemptions for vaccines. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a wild West out here. Yeah. Um, and I think always will be because of those kind of, you're never just going to make a move that's going to take the Amish out of the picture. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of keeps Pennsylvania and this area positioned in a certain way um, for better or for worse.
0: That but was, that I, was w- one of my favorite things about visiting Relapse Records for the first time when it was still in the basement of a Santa Claus store <laughs> adjacent right? to Amish country. Um, yeah. And I just, that awesome juxtaposition of like here's Christmas, here are the Amish and here are these sure. you know, like the delinquents blasting death metal.
1: right the Mennonite thing definitely have has a thing not only in like food culture but like uh, you know even the mass that I would go to there would be like what seemed to me like I would assume almost like a Mennonite family or something on the on a fringe edge of Christianity where they were like turbo Christian. Mm. Uh, but attending mass where I was, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a lot of that kind of stuff,
0: that's interesting, uh,
1: trickling down here.
0: So the the psychedelics entered in where we as a teenager. Uh,
1: I'm gonna say 14.
0: Oh wow, young youngish 14,
1: definitely like by 15.
0: Wow, uh, th- I'm gonna th- say
1: th- like sophomore in high school.
0: And this question comes from an extremely non-judgmental point of view, because as you know, I'm not,
1: uh, I'm certainly not anti. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not like turbo pro, like, sure,
0: sure, sure. But, uh, but, but my question there would be, you know, given what we know about, about our brains, right. And about, you know, how not developed they are (laughs) until whatever age, um, do you think that's too young? Do you think it doesn't matter? I,
1: I think it's, um, I don't think you can make a blanket statement. I think Mm. it hit me at the right time. And I look at that as being like, Oh God, you know, like what would my life have been or what? I I definitely think that that was where everything kind of, it made an upturn for me. Mm. Um, I only, you know, of course I think I learned some things the hard way, but I think anybody who's well-versed in psychedelics and still open to any of the other stuff we're discussing, um, would probably agree, you know, and much, mm-hmm. I mean, which is why things like maps organization who are doing tons of work with PTSD and uh, ecstasy and oh yeah, psilocybin and near death experiences and all the other things that Michael Pollan writes about, and, you know? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, like I said, I wouldn't say that that's the best time to do it, but for me it was, that's just kind of how it came you know, it fell in my lap at that time. I didn't really go seek it out. Uh,
0: and, and, and so, did your initial yeah. interest in that, because my experience and the, and this would be very much localized to being, you know, someone that was into horror movies and heavy metal and, and that sort of right. culture. You know, I heard about acid from like other metal heads, you know, so it didn't, it didn't have like, when I think about psychedelics now as an adult, and I think more about primitivism and, uh, You know eastern eastern philosophy and you know any number of sort of spiritual connotations hearing about acid for me as a teenager was very much just like a a stoner like yeah we're gonna do some methamphetamines we're gonna smoke some weed i guess i mean i
1: guess it was coming from like the grateful deadish fish Mm. side of things which Mm. is you know i was already a musician at 12. Uh, so by 14, I'm still kind of exploring, like, you know, and trying to figure out my identity. What is it like to be a musician? What kind of musician do I want to be? Am I like Jimi Hendrix, Grateful Dead musician? Am I like King Crimson kind of musician? You know, Mm -hmm. what, you know, am I a hardcore musician? Um, so I think my sister, my older sister's influence on me and her interest in that culture and like giving me fish a picture, a picture of nectar. Um, And as a bass player musician just freaking out like there's it's still to this day I find that record pretty indisputably fierce musically. Um, So you know I mean the first time I did shrooms was at a fish show which is so stereotypical. but almost but almost
0: sort of sort of uh tender how stereotypical it is you know what i mean like that's
1: cool in this day and age that's like the rite of passage that's like the illusion mysteries or whatever it is for this (laughs) right um you know i don't know uh maybe that's a a lofty way of thinking about it but it's a rite of passage in a sense um and i think especially as a young man you know i'm not like I don't have like a mensis to tell me I'm a man. I'm kind of trying to figure it out. I'm like, if I lose my virginity or like have a cool car or whatever, what is it? You know, if I play guitar in front of a bunch of people, am I going to feel, you know, my balls drop existentially? (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and then just, I think, and the other thing I have to say about the psychedelics is like, it always corroborated with my other thoughts and experiences. Like it didn't, I think at some points uh, it eclipsed what I thought about religion. Mm, Um, And then I kind of started tapping into this universalism or like, you know, my, my God is nature, you know, or my God is the universe or the energy or the force or something like that. Um, It became very impersonal. Um, And it also kind of became, you know, I think the more I did psychedelics, the more I kind of killed God and tried to um, reinvent myself as God mm, sure. in some way. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, more so recently, I realized I've been humbled enough to just be like, I don't know shit about shit. And I'm certainly not God. And like, I might be able to name some stuff and science might be able to tell me why something measures the way it does or reacts this way. But like, and not to say it's not getting there rapidly, but until science can like, basically create a sperm and an egg out of absolutely nothing and make it create a human and then eventually a human race, then I'm still open to a lot of other conversations (laughs) about what, what else is happening
0: here. Um, And, and you uh, know, when, when you hear about, or when I hear about string theory and the multiverse and you know, all this sort of uh, really any, anytime science opens the door to things unseen, to me it sort of calls back to like okay well perhaps early humankind was already in tune with some of these ideas well, and just I, and lacked I, the the way to communicate it and the way that we communicate it now
2: or or the
1: other thing is like i kind of think we're like devolving mm. you know i think everybody's like they think that because we have an iphone in our pocket and we're technologically advanced that we're actually evolving as a species which i think is not true and i would even say that like although language has done some great things for us, there may have been a time where we were telepathic and language is just kind of like a really kind of like crude photocopy of what it used to be. Um, You know, I mean that, and that's getting a little out there, but um, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of feel like, and I was trying to get to here earlier where it, it just kind of seemed like psychedelics, corroborated everything else that i was seeing and hearing about and the more i learned now after going through that kind of universal atheistic stage of doubt and questioning all this stuff that i'm reading and you know i'd read the bible i'd read the gita i'd read some of this other stuff that's out there you know buddhist philosophy and it just kind of seemed like when i was on psychedelics it was like oh oh it all makes sense
2: mm. all I've heard, the artwork, i've heard
1: this from people all before, the geometric yeah. stuff in the mosques everything it's like oh, okay. I get it. All of these things are talking about the same thing. And one of them might be calling it soul. One of them might be calling it Surya. One, one of these other people over here might be calling it the sun, but we're all talking about the flaming ball in the middle of our universe um, or in the middle of our solar system. Sorry. that you know, it, We're all talking about the same thing. Uh, it's just kind of represented in different ways and maybe all these different kind of avatars of it. And of course, it gets distorted terribly um, by all by most religions. But uh, all these different avatars that people are seeing uh, just maybe is like the way it should um, represent itself and unfold itself to them. So for some, it might be some like machine elves. Other people, it might be Jesus on a cross. Other people might be like, I don't really want to deal with uh, your representation of a white God. So they go with some blue Krishna, you know, I, I don't know.
0: Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> now I, I'm just trailing
0: I, off again. No, no, I think you're, um, I, we're, you're in a great spot because it, uh, and, and, you know, and without falling into cliche, you know, we could certainly talk about how these ideas become, you know, codified and, and ritualized and and so on and so forth and kind of start to lose their meaning as, they're, as it's a copy of a copy. And I think you put it really, there's a great parallel with what you were talking about in terms of who knows how we once communicated versus how we communicate now. And by the same turn, you know, some of these ideas, these revelations or whatever you want to call them, practices, you know, how much does that stuff get distorted just in trying to explain it
1: well, I'm I mean, trying to
0: explain the unexplainable,
1: you know, something like, uh, you know, the Gita, for example, let's say it's, it, it, we know that it was written maybe, you know, two to 5,000 years ago. Um, and then you have to consider that it was probably spoken mouth to ear for like two to 5,000 years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and then how much of it's changed, or how much of it like maybe the mouth to ear was like the better way of remembering it. You know, at what point does it start to get distorted? Or is it not distorted at all? You know, something like, you know, or 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 does it improve?
0: Does it improve as it goes? Does it
1: improve? Does it get, you know, sharpened over time? Or is it not distorted at all? But the further and further away we get from it, the more we're just like, that isn't true. Right. you know but maybe it right. fucking was because you know sorry to curse but me you know i mean if you told me that 200 million years ago which already is blowing my mind 200 <laughs> million years ago there were these giant lizards that walked i'd be like you're full of shit fuck you
2: but yeah. Yeah. lo and
1: behold it's fucking true and you know so now i'm just like i don't know shit about shit maybe humans yeah. didn't ride dinosaurs i actually don't know i mean that and this, I this comes up that people are suppressing all the information anyway because it doesn't fit the narrative i mean that's a current you know can't put that past anybody now
0: it, that, this is a reoccurring theme on this podcast uh, and i think it, it, it's a big it's a big part of why having these conversations is so interesting for me and so fascinating is that I have come around, and people who've listened to this podcast a lot might be rolling their eyes and turning down their car stereo right now because they've heard <laughs> me say it so many times. Yeah. But I've come around to the idea that um, certainty is, is kind of the death of faith for me. Like I am sure I'm so much more comfortable now in the mystery and in the unknown well, than I've not ever fate. been.
1: Certainty is not faith,
0: right. Right. And that was, and that was sort of, you know, like the shelter album, right? Quest for certainty. That was what my spiritual pursuit was all about for such a long time was well, I got to solve the puzzle, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta answer the riddle. I've got to figure out what everything's all about and then I'll know and then I'll be content. (laughs) And that's not true. Now I'm finding contentment in the discontent.
1: You know, sure. and in the uh, well, it's just, I think being an adult and having that cognitive dissonance and being okay with it, just being, being okay like it's with not, it, it's, That's it's, the it's hardest not part. either or, it's both and yes, you know, like you can't have a heaven without a hell. You can't have it, ha- you well, this is getting a little deeper, but bear with me. And I'm gonna name drop like you brought up Shelter and Ray Capo or Roganoth. Like, I'm all I'm totally down with most of what he's onto these days, mm. Um, and I think that he's really got it dialed in in terms of like everybody in the West is into yoga and you go to the yoga studio, you do a handstand, you have great abs, but you're still an asshole when you come off the mat. Like what <laughs> what's the point?
2: Yeah. You're missing yeah. the
1: point. Um yeah. and um oh shit, I was gonna say something else uh about that. Yeah you we were talk- we were talking about uh about, about the or, not either or about the uh the doubt are. um yeah maybe I'll come back around to it.
0: Uh, ah shit
1: what were you saying right before that
0: um what was i saying right before that uh certainty being the death of faith yeah shit uh maybe content content and the discontent
1: well yeah i mean all of which are great points um i don't know maybe this maybe this is a dead end i'll think of it later uh (laughs) I will say, though, getting back to um, some of the stuff that Raghunath is uh, promoting um, or like some of the people that I've been turned on to through him, this guy, uh, Radhanath Swami. uh, I've been thinking a lot about just kind of maybe switch gears or something, but I've been thinking a lot about the idea that we have the engineering, whether it's social or technological, to fix most of, I think what I conceive of as society's biggest problems, uh, Mm. whether they be like global warming or identity politics or all of this other, you know. Uh, But I I, I fear that we would just end up doing it again. We would just pollute everything again uh, because we're not actually fixing the problem, which is like our personal disconnection from whatever we want to believe God is part of the problem is because we've pretty much killed God by killing religion. So we throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can hate Catholicism, but I still think that most people then just throw God away altogether. And that's of kind course. of, I, I'm starting to think a little foolish. Um, so, you know, I'm very skeptical of where society is going and all the white noise, like all, not saying that protesting and activism isn't important, but like if we're not filling the God shaped hole in our soul, then we're just talking about, like details. Right. Uh, and, you know, so that's kind of disheartening for me, but also kind of relieving to be like, I feel like that's the solution. Um, we need like a Martin Luther King or somebody like that to step up from like a faith perspective and lead these people. But it's just not happening
2: because there
1: really is no faith that anybody trusts. Um,
0: I don't well, know. Yeah. Oh, and, and that was something that I came to, you know, cause both of us I think came to, radical politics and so forth. You know, we discovered a lot of that through punk music and, and subculture. And yeah, I was frustrated kind of early on by both the, the more sort of radical thinkers in that community, how they would toss the baby out with the bathwater and would seek to divorce the spiritual components of figures like Malcolm X or MLK. And then on the other side, as I kind of started to bridge, the worlds between the super secular punk and hardcore and then the Christian hardcore stuff that was happening. A lot of those cats were coming from this very white bread, evangelical right wing sort of world. And it would frustrate me how they would divorce their faith from radicalism, you know, from uh, shaking things up from, you know, the stuff that, that Jesus was actually Talking about and True. doing yeah, contemporaneously, yeah, yeah. and so yeah, yeah i always I always had this sort of odd incongruent fit where ah uh, yeah you know, this makes
1: I'll, me think of like I remember like growing up and hanging out with certain vegans and activists who would like you know protest for places. And they were all about littering because they were like well maybe if everybody sees the place like so messed up they will finally do something <laughs> about it right. and like they were legit like they
2: honestly thought this way I, just like, this,
1: <laughs> I mean it was great because it for i'm still thinking about it i'm still like rolling this over in my head but like yeah what the wow
0: <laughs> yeah isn't it the crazy? Lengths. and then i also wonder as i as i've gotten older and as you and as you said you know being humbled by things you know how much how much of my own identity did I then sort of champion? You know, seeing myself as like like a badge of honor that I didn't quite fit in here and didn't quite fit in there. Right, I was, you know I was always outsmarting whatever group I was around.
1: <laughs> right, of course, it's like I mean that's always the thing is like you get ex- you you go into a fringe group because you're not accepted anywhere else, and all of a sudden you crave acceptance, and then all of a sudden that flips on its head. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, especially, you know, and then you interpret that through the lens of a band that like comes up through a scene and then hates the scene. Then it's like, no, we are, you know, yep. don't kick us out. Where's our fans?
0: Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Rem- um, rem- reminds me of, uh, you know, doing my, my second cover story on dashboard confessional in 2002 and being told by his management and label at the time that I wasn't allowed to use the word emo in conversation. Ooh. And then, you know, 2020 and he's, word yeah and three he's, letter words ryan fast forward and he's playing emo night you know right. and that's not oh, a judgment yeah. call on him that's more of a more oh, of an I mean, indictment can, of that cycle that we all go through
1: <laughs> I, I i can you know personally flagellate myself for you know conversations with members of dillinger about like we're not math metal
2: but all of a sudden like
1: seeing that in wikipedia and just being like wow you know would it really hurt to just carry the flag a little bit you know or just like at least accept it you know not try to shoo it off so much it's just like okay if you put the sticker on my bumper i won't scrape it off
0: yeah Um, i had the uh that's such a great you're always great with the analogies i love it yeah it's just like um i I have a friend who got hired to do some t-shirt designs for AFI a few years back and he asked you know the person who hired him was there any kind of direction from the band anything i should do and they were like no no knock yourself out you know do whatever you think looks cool and you can submit it but as far as don'ts um just don't do anything with pumpkins bats vampires skulls death fire blood <laughs> well, black goth and do it was- <laughs> you know the uh,
1: do you know the henry ford um advertisement have you ever heard this uh-uh like that, I think for the early model T's, the advertisement was something along the lines of uh, you can have any color you want, as long as it's black. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect.
0: I love it. I use that all the time. I love um, it. But yeah, this idea that we, yeah, that you see, we see artists go through where they become known and recognized and identified with a particular thing. And then they, I mean, there's a whole there's books to be written about that, right? How you inevitably sort of resist the the way you're being identified, and then at some point you come back around. To I mean, you know, it's right. Well, that's the hero quest. That's the Joseph Campbell. The
1: whole time it was right under my feet. Yeah. There's something about that. Um, Yeah,
0: that's that's death magnetic, right? Sure. (laughs) Um.
1: Um, Well, one thing I'll, I'll kind of sort of wrap on um yes as, been, as
0: i unfortunately need to land the plane but you're no, yeah it's, this is the first of many liam will Liam. sure we can do this again
1: uh but you know i i feel like i need to drop it here because i've been thinking about it a lot repeating it in other podcasts so the same Go. kind of like groan button for anybody who listens to podcasts that i do a lot and i say this a lot but
2: mm.
1: probably more than anywhere else i feel like it's relevant here where at least for me i've been thinking a lot about the anthony bourdain the uh um robin williams or chris cornell Mm. you know or these people that like at least from the outsider point of view have like everything the material world could offer them at arm's length Mm. um they've had like the great uh you know like rise and fall they've conquered addictions they have like great careers they kind of have the job everybody wants they look great they have beautiful partners. you know what i'm saying i mean at the sure. list yeah on paper everything looks beautiful perfect even and you know that they could have anything they want for the most part and yet they're still not satisfied at all to the point where they're willing to end it um And then I take somebody like a George Harrison who also had more than the world could offer him at an arm's length, you know, just literally throw the world is throwing itself at the guy Mm -hmm. and he's also not satisfied and goes the, my sweet Lord, Hari Krishna, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, where John kind of went peace. He went like, even he went deep, Um, you know, and I I'm super fascinated by artists who go through that, spiritual phase, like the Dylan spiritual phase, and of course obviously like the cold train and sun Ra and all that stuff too. But I've been really interested in it. Or like, you know, I've always loved 16 horsepower. Um, you know, but just when all of it kind of dives in there, but just where that uh you know, what is really gonna fill that God shaped hole for lack of a better term. And again, I'm kind of stealing, you know, a Raghunath saying which, you know, I'm not sure who he's borrowing it from either, but, uh, yeah, I've just been really stuck on that and trying to, you know, allow a little bit more faith or, um, unexplainable stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily calling it coincidence anymore. Mm. (laughs) I'm giving it a little bit more personality. I'm adopting more of a philosophy and a practice and like taking it more seriously. And maybe it's kind of like near death swipes that, put me in this position but i think mm. i've always and you can confirm like i've always kind of been a seeker and i feel like you too absolutely uh, at least theologically um you know a lot of my decisions are it, you come back to this whether it's good or bad this foundation of values of like well, i don't know if that's a good idea you know even as reckless as, as i've been it's there's still that catholic jesuit like
2: oh god is watching
0: <laughs> and we've and we've <laughs> it, yeah and this is certainly like i said I'm, I'm pretty sure you were the first person i thought about having on this podcast when i came up with the whole idea and it's because yeah we've we saw that same duality and struggle and and flicker of faith and hope and curiosity and all that stuff we recognize that in one another I think right. extremely early on and that's well, that's continued I, to I, be one of our bonds. to tie it
1: back around to like you know the, the spiritual years of artists not to mention you know shelter and extol and these other things that um, you know I'm sure you could name a bunch more um, me without you. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> You know the where these other worlds kind of intersect too.
0: Bad um, brains, crowmags. Oh, dude! Of <laughs> yeah. course,
1: yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. It's all it's all um, it's all wrapped in there for us. But yeah, uh, you know, I'm honored to be able to have a, a conversation that lasts, you know, in perpetuity. Yes. In this digital form indeed um, and we're gonna, we're, we're, gonna topics, we're gonna yeah, do more we're gonna do more
0: we got abbreviated yeah, uh, and, and normally I do feel like forty five minutes to an hour is the sweet spot, but i, I we could we could comfortably do three hours
1: <laughs> well <laughs> I yeah, I realized that I kind of have a i've developed a bit of a monologue too, and i'm like oh can i can i can I spin this into thirty minutes without uh just sounding like we're never finishing talking about anything.
0: <laughs> um well to be continued my friend um yeah. thanks for doing this and i'm going to be hitting yeah. you up pretty much immediately about doing it again so okay there's, yeah. there's so thanks much again. more
1: uh i miss you likewise um, and, tons uh, hope you're well and yeah I will,
0: let's I, I will never ever ever hear king diamond and not think of you oh
1: i take that as a compliment
0: oh yeah i gotta have him um. on <laughs> he's on the list too
1: I may be able to, I don't know. I have a, I mean, you probably have connections too, but I have a sort of, my friend's cousin is married to
0: him. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. That's how I met him.
0: Oh, wow. Um, I, he was, the one time I interviewed him, which was years ago, it was for Metal Maniacs and it was a phone interview. He was very excited to hear that I lived in Indiana because he's such a NASCAR Indy 500 guy. Oh Yeah. (laughs) I'm like like, dude I want to talk about ghost stories he he wants to talk about race with that mustache (laughs) exactly those shades of course he loves yeah exactly
1: that totally makes sense now
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I love you dearly and uh, Uh, we're gonna do this again as soon as I can wrangle you again we're gonna do it again. Uh,
1: let's do it you're a flower in God's garden and I love you dearly and thanks for having me on
0: all right brother I'll talk to you soon
1: okay see you later